something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. I won't let my body outweigh Outweigh everything that I'm made of Won't spend my life trying to change I'm learning to love who I am I get strong, I feel free I know every part of me is beautiful And I will always outweigh If you feel it, put your hands in the air Show some love to the mirror while you're there Let's take it one day at a time Cause you and I outweigh Hey Outweigh fam, it's Amy here and I am joined by Jess Springle. She was on the podcast with Lisa and I already. She's done one episode, but we brought her back today because we're going to break down kids and I'm a mom of a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old son and I know that I've dealt with certain comments and situations where I'm like, I don't want to say or do the wrong thing. Or I wonder what they're really thinking or feeling or, oh my gosh, did I do something that maybe caused that behavior or that comment or that action? Or I don't want to trigger my kids. There's so many things it's, I'll use for lack of a better word. Once you're woke (laughs) for yourself, then you're suddenly very woke in how you act around food or talk about your body in front of your children. And I 
We'll say too, Jess. Oh, let's go. I just want you to say hi real quick. So I'm not dominating here. Hi, everybody. Super excited to be here. Yes. And she's at the cranky therapist on Instagram, which I love your handle and your account. So everyone should should follow. But I, I feel like Jess, as a parent, and I'm sure others listening might be in similar shoes, that I was knee deep into my eating disorder when I became a parent and I adopted two kids. They arrived at 10 and seven. And I was putting all kinds of things on them. Like I was raining it down and I didn't even know it though, because I was so in my own stuff. I didn't even know how yucky it was. And I was spreading the yuckiness. And then I entered this realization of like, things need to change for me. And I did the work and now I'm in recovery. And then now I'm in the process of unlearning things myself and trying to get my kids to unlearn what I've put in their head. And of course, they much prefer this version of mom that they get because I'm way more laid back about food. So where is a good place to start in your mind since you're the expert here and the therapist of like, what's going on with kids? Like how early can something even start? And what as parents do we need to be doing? Oh, that is a big question. Loaded. (laughs) You know, I I think from what I understand and know from research, kids as early as three to five can interpret and internalize messaging about bodies and food. And if we think about like what kids watch on TV, even as early as that, um, or what they might be exposed to just from their families, I think that that makes sense. And, you know, as a, like a personal anecdote, this is one of my earliest memories, which just goes to show, um, I was five and I, I referred to a person as fat and I was not saying it in an unkind way. I was just commenting on this person's size. Granted that I knew the word fat versus anything else is questionable. I'd be curious where I learned that word, but the person responded by bursting into tears and they became very upset and angry with me. And it was a family friend. So it was just, it was really uncomfortable. But what I internalized from that was, oh, fat is bad. We don't ever comment on anyone's size. And especially if they are of a certain size, you never say anything about it because it's bad. All of that to say, I think that kids at earlier ages than people expect can really take on these messages and run with them. I work a lot with adolescents. I don't work quite as often as I did before the pandemic and earlier in my career, uh, just because of the level of work it often requires. But I mean, I saw in my inquiries, so inquiries are just, you know, people looking to work with me. I would say 80% at least were from parents of kids, kids as young as eight up to, you know, 17, 18. So I think that, you know, we definitely saw during the pandemic, a huge influx of young people with eating disorders and I'm not entirely sure why that is, and I'm sure we'll learn more as research comes out, but I would imagine a lot of that is just being stuck in the house, not having any control, not having any access to friends. And then also on top of it, just all of the messaging that we were seeing in the media about the negativity around weight gain, um, you know, the COVID-15 or whatever it was that people were talking about, it's kids absorb those messages. Kids are little sponges and they hear these things. And depending on 
so many things, including biology, resilience, uh, heritability, all these things, it absolutely could impact them in a particular way that then ultimately could become a full-blown mental illness. What can parents say to a child or a teen that is making comments about their body when it comes to weight? I mean, I'll just use me for an example. And I don't think, I mean, my son's 10. I don't think he even really knows what he's saying, but I would like to know the proper way to respond to him because other parents might have a child that knows exactly what they're talking about and they're still saying this. But in my case, my son was saying, oh, no, I don't know. I think he just felt maybe bloated or something, but his response was, no, I'm not, I'm not going to eat right now. I've, I feel fat. I'm fat. I'm getting fat. And that's, he kind of went on this thing. And I thought, where is he getting this from? Again, who knows? But like you said, children pick up things everywhere, but he was very concerned about it and then didn't want his food. Now, do I think that my son has an eating disorder? No, but is this a stepping stone for getting there? Like where, where did this come from? And then how far is it going to go? And then how far do his thoughts then start to repeat? And then it becomes a thing where he, it does morph into that. Uh, You know, I think of something that I saw recently, not even sure where, but a daughter or maybe it was an adult now. And she was talking about when she was younger and she would try on clothes in the dressing room with her mom. And she would just feel uncomfortable and make comments about her body. And her mom didn't really know how to respond to make her feel better. And and I think as parents, sometimes we don't, we just, we don't want to say the wrong thing. Right. So we just kind of don't really say anything, but what is the most helpful thing? Right. And I think it is, it is so individual. I will say that, but thinking, you know, thinking about your son, for example, it might even be helpful to ask like, Hey, like, where did you hear that? Or, you know, where might that have come from? And maybe taking some time to talk about, and obviously he's 10, so there's only so much you could really talk about <laughs> without it being like kind of over his head, but maybe, you know, trying to help him shift his language. Like, oh, do you, you know, are you feeling bloated? Are you feeling full? In our culture, there is a lot of conflation between like fullness and fatness, which it is an interesting conflation. And I know that that happens a lot with folks with eating disorders. I know that that was something that I often struggled with was, oh, if I feel full, that must mean that I'm, that I've gained weight. When in reality, it often just means like this is a natural bodily process and really trying to understand or help him understand like what the sensation is that he's experiencing versus, you know, this is, this is not your body changing. This is just a normal human experience, but also, yeah, I think also asking him around like how he feels about the word fat or like what he thinks fat is, because it's not, you know, it's not a bad word. You know, it's often just a descriptor more than anything. So approaching with curiosity, which is a great way to approach a lot of things, but just kind of asking some questions surrounding that. And then I I guess, you know, if it say it's a a teenage daughter, like my daughter's 14, I know that she's had similar things of like, and this is probably messaging I know that she's gotten from shoot, even me a few years ago, maybe of like, oh, I'm not going to eat that. I don't want to get fat or I don't want to gain weight, or I don't want to, even if it's just like off, but you're not even really thinking about it. It's just language that we've been used to hearing for so long that like, oh, I've got to unbutton my pants. I just ate so much. I feel so fat. Like, and, but then that is in their head. So then they think, oh, I'm not going to eat this way because X, Y, Z. So curiosity even would work with like an older, more mature 14 year old girl that knows what I'm talking about. I think so. And 
often I'm, I am not a parent, but I work with so many young people that I get a good sense of the ways in which their parents speak to them that are not effective and how oftentimes the way I speak to them, it can be very different. And oftentimes that is, it does boil down to curiosity. Like, Hey, like what kind of messaging are you getting around this? Like, where might this have come from? Versus I think many parents, especially for kids that do have eating disorders, there's a lot of shame, blame, and attempts to police where it's like, oh, just, just eat it or just do that. Just don't talk about it. And versus, hey, what's going on that this feels uncomfortable to eat right now or uncomfortable to wear, you know, if it's clothing. I think curiosity is something that as human beings, sometimes we forget, we forget about um, because we often want answers. Just, I think that's the nature of being human. We want things to fit in boxes and we want answers and we want to move on. But it's especially with this stuff, I don't think it's quite that cut and dry. And I think a lot of it is parents being able to acknowledge the ways in which they have hurt their children and or just the ways in which maybe they haven't gotten it right and willingness to repair. I think that's huge. I think about my own parents and they're, I mean, they've been very entrenched in diet culture my whole life. And I think about how different my own life might've been and my own eating disorder development might've been if they had turned around and just been like, yeah, you know, maybe that wasn't something I should have said to you or like, oh, actually I got that wrong. Just being willing to admit that you got it wrong. Cause sometimes as a parent, of course, you're going to get it wrong. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. What are some red flags that parents should look for if, you know, they're trying to figure out if their child might be going through this or dealing with an eating disorder? I think depending on the age, it can be fairly obvious. And what I mean by that is like, say you have a child that's 10, for example, and they're doing some strange things with food. A parent might be way more likely to pick up on that, like in a 10-year-old versus if they are 14 or 15 and have a little bit more freedom and then can hide it more effectively. That said, I mean, there are a number of red flags to look out for. Of course, like if there is some sort of shift in how they're behaving around food, if they're avoidant around like any sort of group meal If they're engaging with food in a way that is very different from how they usually do, like say that they're cooking more for the family and then they're not participating in the meal, like they're not sitting down and eating with the family, that could be a red flag. But I think, you know, there are a lot of behavioral markers and red flags for sure. But I think to ones that often get overlooked are the psychological markers, which are, you know, is your child talking negatively about their parents? talking negatively about themselves, not even necessarily just about their parents, but about who they are, comparing themselves to their friends, um, talking negatively about other people's bodies, and also, you know, thinking about like, is their anxiety higher? Like, is their stress increased to a point where they really seem incapable of tolerating it? And that might just be like some red flags in terms of mental health. But oftentimes, you know, what we see for folks with eating disorders or those who develop eating disorders high incidence of anxiety before development, high incidence of perfectionism and overachieving, and also like high incidence of like hyper comparison between peers. What if a parent does start to notice these things, like you're mentioning the red flags, like what's the first line of help that they should seek? My first like knee jerk response is, never a bad idea to initiate care with a provider if that's a possibility, because I think kids, especially in today's world, could benefit from having a safe adult that is not a parent to talk to. That said, I also recognize that not every family is going to have access to see a provider so that, you know, that might not be available. But 
really trying to open up a line of communication with your child is huge. And I think that that, you know, that has far reaching effects where then your child will feel free to open up to you throughout their life. I mean, obviously this isn't a perfect world because, you know, I know that most parents really struggle to connect with their kids, especially as they become teenagers, but even just saying like, Hey, I'm noticing that this is going on. Like I'm noticing that it seems like you're stressed or it seems that it seems like something's up. Like I'm here if you want to talk about it, or I'm here, I'm here to support you and help you. Like, I love you. Really, I mean, sometimes putting the ball in the kid's court versus interrogating them, because I know that that can be received really poorly. Um, Although obviously, if there does appear to be some sort of medical danger or just dangerous behavior occurring, I wouldn't say interrogating is the way, but, you know, perhaps asking some more pointed questions like, hey, I'm noticing this happen is happening. What's going on? Or like, how are you feeling about food? How are you feeling about your body? Granted, you know, if you're asking those questions, it might just be time to initiate some some appointments with like a doctor or a therapist, if that's possible. You know, you bring up a doctor. I, I'm curious what advice you have for parents if they've ever take, taken a child to a doctor's appointment and the doctor has said your child is overweight. You know, something that is I've made my life mission is to try to talk to medical providers before my clients interact with them, um, if possible, just to avoid the harm that can happen. Granted, I don't know that that's always possible, but there are a number of resources online around, like even like, I think there are like cards and such, or just like kind of scripts where you can follow that and share with your doctor, like, Hey, I do not want you mentioning my child's weight to them or having any sort of conversation with them about their appearance or their weight. You can direct that commentary towards me. I'm happy to talk with you about it, but do not talk to them about it. Being your own advocate, we've talked about that here before. When you're going to the doctor for yourself, if you don't want to get weighed, you can speak up for yourself. And if it's not necessary for that appointment, then there's no reason for you to have to get on that scale. But sometimes it's like, oh, well, this is what you do when you go to the doctor. So you just do it. But you can speak up for yourself. And when you're a parent, you know, what you're saying here is too, you can speak up for your child before it even gets to that. And that way everyone's all on the same page. Yeah. I saw some meme recently, of course, I love memes that it was, you know, a young, a young kid was going to the doctor with their parent. And when they went into the doctor's office, they were like, oh no, I'm not getting weighed. And the parent was like, where did you learn that? And the kid was like, oh, I learned it on TikTok. And they said that you shouldn't get weighed. And the BMI is suspicious anyway. And I <laughs> cracked up because I think that that, that speaks volumes about, I think, Gen Z and the generation below them. It, it is amazing. I think there's so much more information about that stuff available now that, I mean, we did not have access to, like generation above ours did not have access to. And I love that. I, I think that is an incredible thing that there are more people who recognize and understand that a doctor does work for you. You know, you're going to see them for a service. And if you don't like the way that they provide that service, you don't ever have to see them again. And, you know, it's a collaboration. It's not them telling you what to do. So you can say no if you don't want to do something. You know, you brought up TikTok and it made me think of social media in general and what kids have to deal with and the comparison that's on there. And even though I cleaned up my Instagram and really had to hone in on who I was following, what was going to be beneficial for me to see, I cleaned out accounts that were not going to be helpful to my recovery. I added in accounts that were going to encourage me and remind me and lift me up and keep me on the right track. Because it really is 
it's daily work, you know, and I'm 40 years old and I'm, you know, having to do that on Instagram. Imagine like just when you're a teenager, how impressionable your mind is. And even though I've cleaned up my accounts, even under my search stuff, if I go to the, or suggested uh-huh. a bunch of different accounts will show, I'll see, I don't even have to click on them. Cause there's just all of them sitting there waiting for me to explore them. I guess it's the right. explore page. And I automatically right there before and afters and something about that in your brain is like, oh, well, that's intriguing. I mean, just because of old ways. And I have to remember, like, don't even click on it. It, Who cares? I don't care about their transformation Tuesday. It doesn't matter. And with kids, even I know there's a situation where two young girls, teenagers were um, about to work out. And one of the friends was like, oh, hey, before we work out, let's do a before and after. But like, she didn't really know what she was talking about, right? But she learned that from social media or learned that from seeing someone do it. So let's just throw that out there as a scenario of like, what advice would you give to a parent if they noticed that their teenage daughter was wanting to do a before and after to track their progress? That is a great question. Uh, Social media, it's it's interesting how much a part of my job that has become over the years. And I started working with teens in, let's say 2015. And social media, even since then, has evolved so much. And just the ways in which I have to help clients and parents intervene in that respect, um, especially, especially so far as young women are concerned, because I think it can be dangerous across a number of ways. But so far as that's concerned, I think, you know, if you are noticing your kid engaging with that sort of content or wanting to create that sort of content, I think it's the same, just approaching with curiosity, like, hey, where did you, where did you learn that? Like, where did that come from? And if you are noticing your kid looking at more body focused content or content that does seem to be a little bit more comparison fuel, I am not of the mind that policing your child's use is always a good idea unless it is truly dangerous and harmful. I think there are ways in which you can encourage more healthy and positive use. And one of them might just be like, hey, like, what is that doing for you? When you look at this stuff, how do you feel? it seems like that could really make you feel bad. Like any, you know, and you can even be transparent with your child if it's, if it's true, like, Hey, this would make me feel really bad if I were looking at that. And admittedly, like if I were working with a client and they were showing me something, I'd be like, yeah, you know, if I were looking at that all the time, I'd probably feel pretty bad. I mean, there are certainly pockets of TikTok, Instagram, et cetera, that are like very eating disorder fueled, like, and very like pro eating disorder and not even necessarily explicitly pro eating disorder, but it's like, Hey, I'm in recovery, but I'm going to still flex my eating disorder in a way. Yeah, no, I mean, I see that it's a, sometimes a, an interesting place where people land when they are in recovery and they're still trying to figure it out. It's like a quasi space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can relate to that in the sense. I think it was a learning progress for me on my other podcast where outweigh was born. It was just a four part series on my four things podcast. And then we made it its own. But the things that I used to say a few years ago on my podcast make me cringe now. But even in my time of recovery, or even that's why I I specifically co-host this with Lisa. Right. And she's the expert. And I feel comfortable doing, you know, without her if I have another expert on. But you're not going to see me just doing an outweigh episode. Because again, I'm still in this space, although not as much as the gray area as I was, but I'm still learning 
And I don't necessarily have all the tools. And so sometimes I may say something and if I've got Lisa there to be like, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm going to pull you back in. That's not actually, that can be triggering to someone. And then that, I don't even realize it, right? right? Because I just am in the process. And so it, it's a tricky space for sure. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today.
you know, before we wrap up, I guess sometimes I feel like, well, a lot of us can be in denial about things. And I just can picture some parents maybe being in denial about what their kids may actually be going through and not really addressing it. So I feel like one way to maybe knock on that door is for you to share some big risk factors if a teenager does in a tween or whatever we want to call it, develops an eating disorder. Because if you're not paying attention, I mean, this is a time where maybe I think parents, if they're dialed in, they can step in and really make a difference. So let's go ahead and talk about how if we're either not paying attention or in denial as parents, the big effects that our kids are going to have. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point, an important thing to talk about, because I do think that our culture and our world has some really outdated beliefs about eating disorders, the least of which is just, oh, eating disorders are a choice. Eating disorders are something that people grow out of and eating disorders don't really, um, they're really nothing more than like a glorified diet. And what we really, what we know is that Eating disorders second only to opiates or just opiate overdose, they are the leading cause of death in um, so far as psychiatric illnesses are concerned. So if your child has an eating disorder, I'm not saying that it's a life sentence, but it is life-threatening and can be life-threatening. And unfortunately, a lot of parents are not woke to that um, because they don't want to be or because they don't really understand I'd say that's the number one risk factor is, yeah, like it can, it kills people. And I think that even I often forget that, even though I know plenty of people that I've been to treatment with and just know peripherally who have passed and even people I knew personally who have passed from their eating disorder. And I don't think it's real until it happens to you or happens to you or to someone that, you know, is close to you. All of that to say, like, yes, that is a huge risk factor and can happen, but there are also the other, you know, quote unquote, smaller risk factors where it's like, it interferes with a person's functioning across domains. So, you know, your child might start to struggle with school, struggle with peer relationships, struggle with their relationships with you. And also just inner, it interferes with their overall mental health as well. So even though it's like, yes, the relationship with food and body might suffer, the relationship with just, I don't know, being a kid might suffer where they might not really be able to engage with their friends or engage in tasks that they enjoy, play sports if they like that, do crafts or read. It's like, it really is. It's a bit of a life sucker. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking back to my eating disorder developed when I was in high school. So I was a teenager and it it's just same as it was when I, when it came back as an adult for me, it just made my world so small then and made my world so small as an adult. And yeah, as a kid, you're supposed to be experiencing so much and it's a time for growth. You could just get stuck. And I just would encourage parents. I don't think my, I, I went to my mom with it and I knew I wanted help, but I don't think she knew exactly how to best come alongside and give me the support. My mom is a great mom, but she didn't understand what I was going through and what I was, I mean, I feel like I was, I went to her pretty openly, like wanted help. I was like, this, something's happening. This is not right. And I need help because I'm throwing up. I don't even know how this happened. And when I try to think back of it, I don't even know really where I learned it. Right. right? I have no idea. Did I just hear about it? Is it in a movie? Was someone else talking about it? But somehow I think too, you just kind of figure it out and you're like, oh, okay, well this works. And it 
and I would feel better. But then, you know, when it came back for me as an adult, after my mom had died, it it really came back like a day later, like boom. Yeah. And I would eat a meal and I just t- had to do the thing. And that was how I was responding to my trauma. And I remember thinking it got so bad. You know, you bring up just the risk factor of death. And there are times where, I mean, in whatever the behavior is, because if you're not eating enough calories and your your purge might be over-exercising. For me, I was literally purging. There are other forms of purging. But for me, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like sometimes it was just so difficult and I felt like my heart was racing. My head felt like it was about to explode. My eyeballs were like bloodshot about to come out. But I there I was just still in, like I had to be successful and this had to happen because that's the only way I was going to feel relief. You know, but I was like, oh my gosh, like I would feel certain pains that I was like, I don't know what's happening. Like, what have I done? Am I, have I done something, popped some blood vessel somewhere and now I'm going to die right here and this is how the world's going to, not the world, but like my world is going to find me and this is how I'm, this is, this is what's going to happen. And that was a thought, but for me it was fleeting and honestly, the eating disorder had more power than that. Absolutely. And it it's like, even though I knew that the reality could be death, it's almost like, oh, but would that really happen to me? And what's crazy is it's like, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, it could. But we, we minimize that because it's like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Right. But I'm sure that's what's happened to a lot of people. But anyway, I'm not I'm not trying to be dramatic at the end. No, here. you're not. You're I can not. share my experience. And I there were times where literally I thought, okay, I'm going to end up killing myself, not intentionally, but it's a slow death. It, when I was a teenager, my, my mom did set me up with, with a family friend that had gone through something. And I remember having a conversation with her and she said, every time you do that, or your eating disorder, now I'm paraphrasing, can't remember exactly how she said it, but she just said, every time you do that, it's a, it's a slow suicide. Yeah. I don't know if that was the best advice well, for her to give me, but I mean, it's, it stuck it's with scary. me. It's scary. Well, especially too, it's, there is like an invincibility I think that comes with having an eating disorder or like some feigned invincibility where it's just, you kind of convince yourself like nothing bad is going to happen. Or it's like, Oh yeah, I know people die from this, but it's not going to be me. Or, you know, you just kind of accept like, well, if it is me, it is me today, but like, let's hope it's not. And most people don't understand that that is the narrative. Like that's often going on parallel to the experience. And I don't think it's dramatic. I think that is the reality. There's the very strong reality of having an eating disorder and parents really need to be clued into that, that their kid might not be able to stop. It's not like some punishment towards them, or it's not like some acting out against them. Oftentimes it is just, it becomes an entrenched behavior and it's really hard to stop it if you don't have the skills or the tools or the resources to stop it. I mean, I think it is, it is important actually for parents to hear something like that, because oftentimes I do think, unfortunately, at least by the time kids end up in my office, parents are at their wits end and really frustrated with their child and think that they're doing it for X, Y, Z reason. And, you know, I want to circle back to something you said at the beginning before we go, or kind of the beginning, you said you think it's very important for kids to have a safe adult to talk to that is not their parents. And I want you to just quickly say why that is, because I mean, I, I get it and I understand, but I feel like some parents might take offense to that of like, well, but I'm the parent, so I don't need another adult. But why would that be important? It doesn't mean your kid loves you any less or they're not going to connect with you, but can you break that down? 
Yes. Uh, so it, it's funny you say that because I've certainly had a lot of parents be very threatened by me, which is it, it, hilarious to think about because I'm not a threatening force at all. But just in that I was close with their child or, you know, heard their child in a way that was different than how they heard them. And I think that can be very threatening for parents. They want to be the person that their child goes to. They created the child or adopted the child or whatever. The, the child is theirs. You want to set your child up for success in the world and you want to set them up for success in terms of being able to resource. So being able to talk to other adults or be, be honest with other people, be open with other people. And also I think you're teaching them how to trust and hopefully the person that they are putting trust in is a trusted person and is not going to cause them harm. But I do think that it's really valuable for, for children to have more than one adult in their life, and especially more than just their parent or a family member. I think it can be extraordinarily useful for them to know, like, I can talk to this person. They're not judging me. There's no, the stakes are low, really. I think that's a lot of it. Because when you talk to your parents about things as a kid, you might get in trouble. You might, you know, be reprimanded. There might be some sort of consequence versus you're talking to a therapist, say, as a kid, they might talk with your parents or they might encourage you to talk with your parents, but you're not in trouble with them. You know, they're not judging you, hopefully. Um, I can only speak for myself and I certainly don't judge my clients for what they share with me, especially the young ones. And I think that that's really powerful to be a young person and to not feel judgment from an adult. That's huge. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. So, uh, Jess Springle, thank you so much for coming back on Outway for the second time. Yay. And again, everyone can find you on Instagram. You are the cranky therapist. <laughs> That's me. So um, I'm sure I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point, but I appreciate you joining me in this conversation and being uh, my expert, especially since Lisa's not here with us today. And she sends her love, says hi to everyone. But yeah. Jess, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was super exciting to be here again. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Today. 